Did you know that the average adult asked up to a hundred questions every day? Isn't that pretty incredible? Actually, I just started on mine. That's the question. Did you, did you know that the average adult asked a hundred questions a day? Here's an interesting side note to that. The average four-year-old, some of you will relate to this, the average four, four-year-old asked up to 300 questions every day. Pretty interesting, isn't it? But I'll tell you, men aren't the only ones who ask questions. God asks questions too. And there are many questions that God asks that are recorded in the pages of Scripture. And today we want to look at the very first one that God ever asked. Do you remember what it was, the first question God ever asked? I'll give you a minute to ponder on that, see if you can come up with that Bible trivia answer. Before we do that, though, let me stop just for a minute to add words of welcome to those that have already been extended. We appreciate you for being here this morning. We're glad to have this time to come together to worship God, and we're glad that you're here to be a part of it. We have, as Joel said, we have a number of visitors and family members uh, who are here today, and we're grateful that you are here as well. Thanks so much for the encouragement that you provide to the rest of us by virtue of being here today. Thanks. So what was that first question that God ever asked. Well, here it is. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, you remember the situation, right? Eve had been tempted by Satan and had partaken of the forbidden fruit, and she gave to her husband Adam, and he ate, and their eyes were enlightened. And they, and they obviously felt a serious sense of guilt for what they had done, and they were hiding themselves. And so God called out to the man and said, where are you? Now, you got to realize that God did not ask that question for his own information. God already knew the answer to that question. The, the question was intended to make Adam stop and assess where he was and what he had done. And so this is a pretty good question. Where are you? We need to honestly and objectively answer that question ourselves. Where are you? Again, not talking about geographical location, but talking about where are we, spiritually speaking. And we want to investigate that this morning for just a few minutes. You know, here we are. This is the last Lord's Day of 2021. Next Sunday will be the first Sunday of a new year. And usually at this time of year, at the end of one year and the beginning of another, we, we tend to use that as a motivation to do a little introspective thought, uh, considering situations in our lives. And we are missing an opportunity if we don't use that motivation to think about our spiritual lives. Where are you spiritually? And so let me suggest some categories that... I mean, we're going to do this pretty rapid fire, but let me suggest some categories that, that need our attention. Let's start out by asking, where are you as an individual? And so we're going to talk about the individ, at, at the individual level, where are you? Uh, are you in Christ? Have you been saved? We talk about this decision to serve the Lord, and we talk about it being the most important decision in life. And I really believe that that absolutely is the case. There are lots of important decisions, none more important. Actually, none even compare in importance to this one. Are you a Christian? 
The invitation of Jesus is, is an open invitation, and it's there all the time. For instance, as he worded it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we talk about this invitation of Jesus. He, he is offering to take from us the load that we can't carry ourselves, the burden of our sin. He gives us burden to carry in his service, but it's bearable. We can do it. Well, what we can't do is carry the burden of our sins. And so there's a positive and open invitation to Jesus, of Jesus, to come to him for salvation. Have you done that? Are you in Christ? Have you been saved? If you have not responded in obedience to the gospel, we would ask what Ananias asked of Saul of Tarsus. Now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so certainly an important starting place is simply, are you in the Lord? Have you been saved from sins? Do you have the hope of heaven and eternity? But think more about where you are. Maybe you have obeyed the gospel, but another follow-up question to that would be, are you growing in knowledge and in spiritual strength? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not offered as a suggestion, but actually stated as a command. Uh, and so, are you growing? We need to do some analysis of that sort. For instance, are you able to detect personally in your own life that you're a stronger Christian today than you were last year when the year came to an end? And so, a year has transpired since maybe some of these same kind of thoughts were suggested to you. Have you grown? In this year. What about five years ago? Are you a stronger Christian than you were five years ago? What about ten years ago? Now you might as well be honest about this, of course, because the Lord knows our hearts better than we know them ourselves. Are you growing as a Christian? Can you honestly say that you're a stronger Christian now than you were at times in the past? Are you growing uh, in knowledge and spiritual strength? Are you active and serving? The life of a Christian is one of active service. And the question is, are you being active? Are you serving? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Would you, would you feel confident? Would you like for someone to use that word to describe you, abounding in the work of the Lord? Would any of us feel comfortable saying, oh yeah, that guy, he's abounding in the work of the Lord? Or would you have to say, well, there's certainly more I can do and need to be doing. There's more that I need to do in active service for the Lord. It's a good thing to think about. Where are you? Are you active and serving? Are you making progress dealing with your temptations? We've been studying in the book of James in our Sunday morning class. And just a week or two ago, as we introduced the book, we remember that James started out. In James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So James understands and expresses the, the inevitability of temptation. You are going to be tempted. All of us have our own areas of weakness and temptations. Yours may be different than mine and vice versa. But we have areas of weakness where we're tempted. How are you doing with that? You're going to be tempted, 
How are you doing? Are, are you making progress in dealing with those particular areas of weakness that you experience? We need to be getting better at that, right? And if we're not, then maybe that indicates a, 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 a definite area where we need to pay special attention as we move into the new year. Are you making progress dealing with your temptations? Let me ask this question. Are you encouraging others by your faithful example? A verse that's very familiar to all of us is Hebrews 10.25. I want you to go to that, but I want you to think about the verse that precedes it. In Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's interesting to me that the verse we so often use about attendance, Hebrews 10.25, is preceded by a verse that says to think about one another, consider one another, to provoke unto love and good works. And there are a number of ways that I can do that. If I'm thinking about you and if I'm thinking about how I can encourage you in your life as a Christian, there are lots of ways to do that. And one way, just one way, but certainly a positive way, is to be faithful in attendance. Do you consider that? Do you consider whether your example is encouraging others or maybe discouraging? I I think some people don't realize that when, when you're not here, And when we recognize you're not here, the the pew where you normally sit is vacant, that's sort of discouraging. Are you thinking about others? Are you encouraging by your faithful example? Well, that's just some things to think about. That list could certainly be made longer. But hopefully you'll agree that this sort of self-examination is needed, but it's only helpful if it provokes us to make changes. And so as the year comes to a close and as we think about where we are spiritually on an individual basis, then we would say, yeah, great to think about it, but only helpful if you are willing to make changes in areas where you see that some improvement is needed. Let me change gears here a little bit. Instead of just on an individual basis, let me ask Where are you as a family? All the statistics indicate that families in our modern day are in great crisis. I saw a statistic the other day that says 50%, over 50% of children in public schools live in single-parent homes. Now that in itself would say something is, is amiss about families, right? And here's another one that's pretty sad. Less than 40% of married couples claim to be truly happy in their marriages. That's pretty sad too, isn't it? Families are in trouble. We need to pay attention to our families. These are challenging times for families for sure. How, How are you doing? How is your family doing? Where are you as a family Is Christ the center of your home? I think that probably everybody would reflexively answer, oh yes, certainly, Christ is the center of our home. But I wonder if we were asked to supply evidence to prove that statement, I wonder how well we would be able to do. Is Christ the center of your home? Well, if if the answer is truly yes, we ought to be able to demonstrate that. For instance, does your treatment of one another 
reflect that Christ is the center of your home. You remember the very familiar family instructions in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, Let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. How's your, how's your husband-wife relationship? How's that going in your family? The very next verse says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. How's that parent-child relationship going? How are we treating one another in our families? It's been so often pointed out that sometimes we are kinder to strangers that we bump into on the street than we are to the people we're supposed to love more than anybody else in our own families. And that is a sad thing for sure. How, how are you doing in your family life? How does, does your treatment of one another indicate that you really do have the Lord first in your life? Do your activities demonstrate that Christ has first place? In James chapter 2, we haven't gotten to this in our James study yet, but we will real soon, Lord willing. In James chapter 2, at verse 18, James says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show thee my faith by my works. Obviously, that's talking about individuals there, but I think it would be applicable in our families as well. Show your faith in the Lord by what you do. And so, in our families, the the, the activities that we engage, does that show that we have a Christ-centered outlook? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Again, we often apply that, and I think appropriately, to our individual situations, but I think it can fit in regards to our family situations as well. Are we showing our faith by our works? And you know, actually, the Lord has not asked us to do hard, impossible, terribly unpleasant things. His commands are not grievous, but if we love Him... We keep His commandments. Where are you as a family? Are your children being taught by example and by instruction? There's two things there, right? Your example and literal specific instruction. I think it's been properly noted that there's no greater privilege than the privilege of having children, but there's no greater duty than the duty to bring them up right. And in the present world, there's no, I think, no greater challenge than to bring up our children right. And so they need specific instruction in the Word of God. Are they getting that in your home? But of course, that specific instruction has to be complemented by proper example. And the parent who does not set a proper example before his child is not going to be successful in bringing them up in the way that they should go. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a duty. That's a responsibility. And we need to be doing that. Our families are critically important. And I think you would agree with me that this terminology seems pretty severe. Our families are under siege. I think that's a fair description. Where are you as a family? Are you... Are you protecting your family? Are you working for your family? This certainly deserves some careful analysis. And again, remember that it's only helpful 
if we are provoked to do the right things. So, one question is, where do I stand individually? Another is, where do I stand in my family? Let me suggest one more category where we need to do some analysis, and that is congregationally. Where are we as a church? Uh, again, like everything else we've been saying, this time of year provides us an opportunity to do some careful examination, which is very appropriate and needed. Where are we as a church? Are we moving forward or just drifting? I imagine that you have had the experience that I have had. You're talking to somebody from some congregation near or far from here. You say, how how are things going with the church there? And sadly, all too often, the response you get to a question like that, well, we're just holding our own. We're just holding our own. Uh, That's... That's unfortunately too true in too many places. I'm going to tell you, just holding our own is a scary proposition. Because if you're not moving forward, if you're just drifting, usually you're drifting backward. You know, numbers certainly don't tell a full and accurate story. In fact, we've talked in the past about the danger of judging everything on the basis of numbers. Numbers actually don't prove the soundness or faithfulness of a church at all. But unfortunately, we see too many instances of churches that were rather large at some point in the past, and now they are down to just a handful of people. And that indicates something's not going right, not moving forward, drifting backward. I'll tell you another, again, if you just want to talk numbers, I'll tell you another number that is all too common in congregations is that you might see a church with a hundred or more on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night you see 30 or 40. That's a bad number. That's the, uh, again, numbers don't tell the whole story, but those numbers tell something is wrong, right? Where are we as a church? Are we, where are we at College View? Where would we fit on that scale? Moving forward or just drifting? Are we a light in this community? Are people aware of our presence? You know, it's kind of interesting when you're out in public and, and from time to time, certainly it is, it, it comes up and you're able to talk about. I'm a member at College View. We're out there on Hampshire Pike. We're just across from the Columbia State. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. When you talk to people about where you attend services, are they aware? Are they even aware that we exist in this community? I I hope that they are. In the book of Philippians, uh, and and we've just, uh, we're engaged, we're actually in the middle of a study of the book of Philippians right now, we've talked about over and over again, this was a really good church. The church at Philippi was really a good church. And in chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And so Paul was urging this church, which was already a very good church, but he was urging them on. He said, And he talked about the fact that they existed in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. Sounds like our times, doesn't it? And he says, what do you do there? is shine. You shine as lights uh, in the world. Are, are we a light in this community? I hope that we are. Certainly that's an area where we can do better, do more, be more effective. We need to think about those kind of things. In the text that Gage read for us at the very start, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, another really good church of that first century 
era was the church at Thessalonica. And one of the things that they were well known for was getting the word out. In that text that Gage read for you, and we won't read it all again, but notice in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. And so that church at Thessalonica was doing a great job of getting the message out. Uh, we need to do that. We need to do more of that. Are we doing a good job? Can we improve? Where can we improve? How can we improve? All worthy considerations at this time of year. Are we a united church? So we just mentioned Philippi and Thessalonica, which seemed to be really good churches of the first century time frame. The church at Corinth was a whole nother story, right? There were all kinds of troubles at Corinth, and they were not united. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at verse 11, Paul says, It has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So there was trouble at Corinth, and so much so that Paul was hearing about it, although he was not there. He was at some other place. But reports were getting back to him about the trouble at Corinth. What about us? Are we united as we work together uh, in doing God's work? Uh, How about this? Are we building up one another? What's your feeling? I mean, again, we're asking for honest evaluation here. What's your feeling based upon your part as a member of the body of Christ in this place? Are you able to honestly say that I feel like this is a good place for me to be? I feel that it's helping me spiritually. I'm getting stronger. I'm growing. This is, this is a good situation. Uh, is that the way you feel? Well, if that's so, then you would say, well, we're being successful at building one another up. On the other hand, if you are not sensing that, then that, that indicates that some improvements and changes need to be made. Are we building one another up? But notice, this is a one another kind of thing. Do you feel like you're being built up by your presence and participation in the local congregation? Good. I hope it's, I hope it's so. But are you conscious, and we talked about this earlier, are you consciously thinking about how your participation might influence others to feel positive about their participation here at College View? Are we building up one another is a worthy question. And then finally, let me just ask this. What am I doing to contribute to what we are doing? And so obviously a lot of the Christian life is an individual pursuit. We understand that. But there is the collective work we do together in, in the local congregation. And so as you think about the work that the local congregation is trying to achieve, what we are doing, what is my part? What, con- what contribution am I personally making? Look in Ephesians chapter 4. You remember verse 16, Ephesians 4:16, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. So you are a part of the body, 
And you have to be doing your work as a part of the body. So what's my part? Am I doing it? What's your part? Are you doing it? That's the only way that the body is going to be really effective in being the church God wants us to be. Are we fulfilling our role? Well, there's just some thoughts. I thought it would be appropriate for us to spend some time thinking along this line here the last Lord's Day morning of this calendar year. Ready to start a new year. That's always provides some motivation to change and do better. But before you can change and do better, you've got to sort of measure where you are right now. And so here's some important areas where we are as individuals, where we are as families, where we are as a church. Where are you? The very first question that God ever asked man. I believe that he certainly demanded an answer from Adam, but he would demand an answer from us as well. Where are you? Think about that and think about any changes that you might need to make as we approach this new year. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And in that very process, we're going to ask you, where are you? Are you right with the Lord? Have you become a Christian by obeying that simple gospel plan? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If not, and yet you know what you're supposed to do, we would urge you to make that decision. If you need help understanding what to do, say so. If you're a Christian already, but again, where are you? As you evaluate yourself spiritually, you realize you're really not in a good place with the Lord. We beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.